0: Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis 22. We bring the word for today. And I'm, I'm bringing the series, Life-Giving, and I'm just talking about the issue of giving, the issue of generosity and how it gives us life. Also, also gives other people life. But this message is called Living Your Best Life. How are you going to live the very best life you can live? I know you want to. That I want to live the very, very best life that I can live, and I believe the Bible tells us how to do that. We're going to read from Genesis 22 the story of when God told Abraham to lay down his son Isaac and kill him, and offer him up as a burnt offering. Now this is this is a heart-wrenching story, and obviously God doesn't want Isaac. That's not the point here. But at 100 years old, Abraham and Sarah had a, a son, and they they were filthy rich. They were fabulously wealthy, and but they didn't have an heir, and so they prayed for a son. At 100 years old, they have a son. And now in this story, Isaac's 10 or 12, 13 years old, somewhere in there, and God speaks to Abraham and tells him to lay him down. And it begins in verse 1, Genesis 22, verse 1. It came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you we're going to skip to verse 10. He's taken Isaac. He's laid Isaac down. He's about to, about to put a knife in him. Verse 10, Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord, let's stop right there. The angel of the Lord is Jesus in the Old Testament. This is pre-incarnate Christ. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the ladder. Do anything to him for now I know that you fear God. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, or Jehovah Jireh. Some of you know. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Now, then, then the angel of the Lord blesses Abraham. We'll read that in just a minute. Now, this is a very powerful text, and God comes to Abraham, and it says he tested him. And obviously, it would be the most unbelievable test that any human being could be put through, is to slay your own son and the only son of the promise that he had. And here's the issue. God didn't want Isaac. He wanted Abraham back. Because implied in this text is that, Abraham, or that Isaac was competing with God for Abraham's attention. And so it only makes sense in that context. If, you, if there was nothing wrong between Abraham and God's relationship, it doesn't make any sense that he would do this. And so implied here isn't that Abraham's turned his heart completely away from God. It's just that he's gotten distracted from the promise. And so God doesn't want Isaac. He wants Abraham back. And here's God's dilemma. Who can he bless and they, and they won't turn it against God? Who can God bless and they won't take the blessing and replace God? That's God's dilemma. Beginning with Lucifer, in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, we know that the devil, what didn't begin as the devil. He began as Lucifer, which means light bearer, and he was a worship leader in heaven. Fabulously gifted, fabulously beautiful, and he took what God gave him and turned it against him. God put put Adam and Eve in a paradise. They turned it against him. Who can God bless, and they won't turn it against him. And so Abraham here, implicit in this text, is the fact that the promise has become a problem. When Karen and I told you about our life group that we had when I was about 25 years old, we were about 25 years old. I was not in the ministry yet. I was working for my dad. And we had a life group, and it started out with 14 people. And one of the original couples in our life group, um, real precious couple, and they were the first to our home every Wednesday night and the last to leave for, for a couple of years. And they were just hungry, humble people who were just hungry for God. And so every time we had a prayer time, on Wednesday nights we would get to that couple and he would ask us to pray for his business. And we would. He always had a huge challenge. It was a brand new business. He was a young man. And he was always wanting us to pray for him. And so we did every Wednesday night. And so a couple of years went by and as his business began to prosper, uh, they began to be more uh, infrequent in the group. They missed more and more. And so one day they came to group, and on Wednesday night AND WE GOT TO THE PRAYER TIME, AND I SAID, HEY, CAN WE PRAY FOR YOUR BUSINESS? AND HE SAID, NO. I SAID, NO. I SAID, you DOING GOOD? HE SAID, WE'RE DOING PHENOMENAL. HE SAID, THANK YOU ALL FOR PRAYING FOR ME. OUR BUSINESS IS JUST DOING GREAT. SO AFTER THAT, WE DIDN'T SEE HIM VERY MUCH. DIDN'T SEE HIM IN CHURCH, DIDN'T SEE HIM IN LIFE GROUP. AND SO I CALLED HIM ONE DAY, AND, uh, and I ASKED HIM TO EAT LUNCH WITH ME. SO WE MET FOR LUNCH, AND HE WAS A DIFFERENT PERSON. HE WAS JUST THE MOST ARROGANT, WORLDLY PERSON I've ever seen in my life I sat across from him and I looked at him and I just thought who are you and during the entire conversation he was talking to me like he was the smartest man in the history of the world very condescending he knew everything and so finally about 30 minutes went by and I said hey can I, can I tell you why I asked you to eat lunch and he said why and I said I'm worried about you he went what I said I'm worried about you he said what would you be worried about with me And I said, it just seems to me like your business is taking you away from God. I don't see you in church. I don't see you in life group. I'm just worried about you. Well, he got furious. I was thinking he would probably do something like say, well, thanks for caring about me. You know, we're doing fine. Yeah, we haven't been coming to church as much as we should. When I said that, he looked at me and he said, what? He got up and left. He got up and left mad. I never saw him again, but he divorced his wife right after that. And I remember this humble man sitting in my living room Wednesday night after Wednesday night after Wednesday night. Will you please pray for me? Will you please pray for me that God will bless my business? That God will take care of this problem? That God will take care of this problem? God fabulously blessed him. And he took the blessing and replaced God with it. It's the history of the world. It's the history of mankind. Who can God bless? And they won't take the blessing and replace God. I want to be a person that God can bless. And I won't use it against him. I'll use it to serve him. Abraham was a good man. And he laid his son down in proof of the fact that God was first in his life. And when he laid him down, this is what it says in verse 14. Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. By the way, that's the temple mount in Israel. That's Mount Moriah. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Now listen, this is not a historical statement. This is not saying, yes, yes, Abraham laid Isaac down on the temple mount, yeah, and and the Lord provided for him. That's not what this is saying. This is saying a spiritual truth that whenever we lay down our best for God, he gives us his best provision. As it is said to this day, when you take your Isaac TO THE TEMPLE MOUNT, GOD WILL RELEASE HIS BEST IN YOUR LIFE. AND THIS IS THE BLESSING NOW THAT GOD SPOKE OVER ABRAHAM. LISTEN TO THIS BLESSING. AS SOON AS HE HAD LAID ISAAC DOWN, HERE'S THE BLESSING. THIS IS VERSE 15. THE ANGEL OF THE LORD CALLED TO ABRAHAM A SECOND TIME OUT OF HEAVEN AND SAID, BY MYSELF I HAVE SWORN, SAYS THE LORD, BECAUSE YOU HAVE DONE THIS THING AND HAVE NOT WITHHELD YOUR SON, YOUR ONLY SON, BLESSING I WILL BLESS YOU, AND MULTIPLYING I WILL MULTIPLY YOUR DESCENDANTS AS THE STARS OF THE HEAVEN AND AS THE SAND WHICH IS ON THE SEASHORE, AND YOUR DESCENDANTS SHALL POSSESS THE GATES OF THEIR ENEMIES. IN YOUR SEED, ALL THE NATIONS OF THE EARTH SHALL BE BLESSED, BECAUSE YOU HAVE OBEYED MY VOICE. ANYBODY LIKE THAT BLESSING? NOT not ONLY DID ABRAHAM RECEIVE THE BLESSING, HIS DESCENDANTS DID. THEY'RE STILL BEING BLESSED TODAY BECAUSE OF THIS BLESSING HERE. I WANT TO SAY SOMETHING TO US. As, AS WE ARE MAKING DECISIONS ABOUT OUR FAITH, IT'S NOT JUST ABOUT US, IT'S ABOUT OUR DESCENDANTS. I WANT TO LEAVE MY CHILDREN A LEGACY OF FAITH. I DON'T KNOW HOW MUCH MONEY I'LL LEAVE MY KIDS, AND I THINK THEY'RE IN THIS SERVICE, SO I'M NOT GOING TO TALK ABOUT THAT MUCH, BUT, <laughs> but I'M GOING TO LEAVE THEM A LEGACY OF FAITH. I GREW UP IN A HOME THAT MY PARENTS WEREN'T BELIEVERS, AND THEY, they BECAME BELIEVERS. I LED MY PARENTS TO CHRIST WHEN I WAS IN MY 30s. And, BUT I, WE NEVER PRAYED, WE NEVER READ THE BIBLE, THERE WAS NO FAITH IN OUR HOME. MY PARENTS WERE GOOD PEOPLE, BUT THEY JUST WEREN'T PEOPLE OF FAITH. And so when I became a Christian, everything was very, very hard for me as a Christian. And we worshiped earlier, and everybody raising your hands, and just the freedom of worship. I grew up in a church. I didn't go to church very much, but when I did, it was a denominational church. There was no expression whatsoever in worship. And we, I came out of a real kind of a stoic family. We were not affectionate. Um, there just wasn't a lot of expression in my family. So Karen and I started going to Trinity Fellowship, which is a charismatic church Worships just like we do here. And we came in, and we were on the back row, and uh, I lo- I, it terrified me. The worship, it, it upset me, but I liked it. <laughs> some of you know what I'm saying. It, I, it, got, it made me nervous. And there were some pretty crazy people in that church, I'll tell you. Right. There, there, were, there were some wild ones. So, but, I, but I kind of I liked it, and I would watch kind of some of the crazier ones, and I was just thinking, how do they do that? How do you act that crazy and not be embarrassed? You know? That's really what I thought. So, but I wanted to do it. But I didn't want to do it in front of Karen. And so I would wait for Karen to kind of turn her head or close her eyes, and I'd go. (laughs) Then one day I got real brave and went for a twofer. I did, I promise I did. But I remember, I remember. The first time I was able to lift my hands in front of my wife. I remember the first time I was able to worship and I didn't care what anybody thought. And I remember my children watching me do that. And now they all worship like that. I remember fellowship, just things that we take for granted. I didn't mind going to church, uh, but I didn't want to be in a small group of people. And so, when we started going to Trinity, Karen said, well, I want us to be in a, in a life group. Uh, and I said, I don't want to be in a life group, Karen. And I don't want people to know my business. and Because uh, I, I was still trying to stop smoking. Uh, I had issues. I, I, did, I felt like I was the least spiritual person in the church. I really did. And I didn't want anybody to know my problems. So uh, we went to a small group. Uh, I wear the pants in this family. So Karen said, I signed us up for a class on Tuesday night, and I said, oh, Karen, I don't want to do that. I want to do that. And She said, well, no, we're going to do it, so we went. So we had a little talk in the car before we went in, and I said this, like you have to tell your kids sometimes, I said, don't tell everything you know when we go in here. When they start going around asking everybody to talk, I don't want you to t- tell everything about us. you know." And so we went in that night, and so everybody introduced themselves in the group and stuff, and um, It came, you know, so we introduced ourselves. And so then the leader of the group said, does anybody play the guitar and could be our worship leader? And Karen said, oh, Jimmy plays the guitar, he will. (laughs) My absolute worst nightmare. And the closest thing I knew to a Christian song was In a God of (laughs) DeVita. I mean, I was not righteous in my music. So anyway, everything was so hard. That group changed our life. My life was changed with those precious people. But everything was so hard. Giving was so hard. Everything was so hard. But I'm just glad we didn't give up. Because our children are saved and serve God. Our grandchildren, we have twin granddaughters about to turn 17 who love Jesus and serve Jesus and who've been raised in a Christian home. We have three grandkids and in this church and gateway that are being raised in a Christian home and love Jesus. I didn't realize sometimes when we were going through all those things that I wasn't just fighting for myself. I was fighting to give a legacy of faith to my children and grandchildren. And I'm saying that because of this. There are some of you who are first-generation Christians. THERE ARE SOME OF YOU WHO HAVE A LEGACY OF FAITH IN YOUR FAMILY THAT YOU REALLY NEED TO BE THANKFUL FOR, AND I KNOW THAT YOU ARE, BUT YOU NEED TO KEEP THAT GOING FOR MORE GENERATIONS. BUT THERE ARE SOME OF YOU, EVERYTHING IS HARD, IT'S JUST HARD, YOU'RE SITTING HERE, EVERYTHING, YOU CAN RELATE TO WHAT I'M SAYING, DON'T GIVE UP, YOU'RE NOT JUST FIGHTING FOR YOURSELF, YOU'RE FIGHTING FOR YOUR CHILDREN AND YOUR GRANDCHILDREN, AND YOU'RE FIGHTING FOR YOUR OWN LIFE, BECAUSE YOUR BEST LIFE WILL BE LIVED WHEN YOU GIVE GOD YOUR BEST, SOMEBODY SAY AMEN. SO I WANT TO I ASK FOUR QUESTIONS ABOUT THIS ISSUE OF GIVING GOD YOUR BEST. I WANT TO I ASK FOUR QUESTIONS AND ANSWER THEM. AND THE FIRST IS THIS, IS THERE ANY BASIS IN SCRIPTURE BEYOND THE STORY OF ABRAHAM AND ISAAC THAT PROVES GOD ONLY RELEASES HIS BEST WHEN WE GIVE HIM OUR BEST? IS THAT JUST A ONE-TIME THING that IN GENESIS 22 OR IS IT IN THE WHOLE BIBLE? LET'S BEGIN IN GENESIS 4. I KNOW PASTOR ROBERT PREACHED FROM THIS TEXT. NOW THIS IS 2,500 YEARS BEFORE THE LAW okay, in, in, HERE IN GENESIS 4. And this is Cain and Abel. Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Well, the word respect there is the Hebrew word sha'ah. And it means two things. It means to look at. And it means to receive. So when it said that God respected Abel, it means when Abel walked up with his offering, which was the first fat portion, it was his best. When Abel walked up with his best, the Lord looked at him and went, When Cain walked up with an offering, it says nothing about the quantity or quality because it was crummy. And it was not his best. And when Cain walked up with that offering, the Lord just did something like this. He wouldn't respect it. Well, Cain became very, very upset. Rather than Cain saying, I'm sorry, Lord, what, what would you have me to do? And to make it right, he got mad, and the first murder on earth was about an offering. When God wouldn't relent, he killed the competition. His brother Abel, he killed it. People in, in preaching on giving for, and I love, Pastor Robert and I both, love preaching on giving because of the freedom it gives to people, because of the life that it gives to people. But people get upset about it, and so when I'm preaching on giving, you know, it's pretty easy to tell who's upset, um, you know. And so I was preaching uh, one time in Amarillo. Well, was dozens and dozens of times I preached on giving, people got upset. But this one time I was preaching on giving, and there was a guy kind of sitting out in this section here, and I was preaching, and I knew he was upset for four reasons. Uh, he had his arms crossed like this he had his head cocked he was purple (laughs) and he left during my message okay so I knew he was pretty upset so he was a builder and he had gone bankrupt I knew him and his whole family for years and so uh the next Sunday at church uh he caught me and he said hey pastor Jimmy I said yeah he said I didn't like your message last weekend and I said I divined that somehow you know I've got this discernment it's incredible but he said, You know why I didn't like it? I said, No, he said, Because the entire time you were preaching, the Lord was giving me an amount to give. And it was a lot. He said, You know I've been bankrupt. I said, I know. He said, It was very, very hard for me to sit there and listen to your message when the Lord's telling me an amount to give. He said, But I gave it. He said, I, While you were preaching, I wrote out the check, and he said, I had to leave early because I had an open house. He was a builder, and he was building the subdivision. He said, I had an open house. I had to go to my open house. Uh, He said, so I got up. I walked by the offering container. I put my offering in. I was very upset, and I went to my open house, and he said there were five couples standing on the front porch, and three of them bought houses that day. And he said, that has never happened to me before. And he said, first of all, I want to apologize to you for my attitude, being angry at you. He said, secondly, I want to thank you. Because money has always been a bondage in my life, and it's been a barrier between me and God. And he said, this week, I've had the closest relationship I've ever had with God. And I feel a freedom I've never felt before. That's why I like preaching on giving. And I appreciated his honesty. You know, obviously, he had a scar there, and he he had issues there. But this is a truth. This is a biblical truth, beginning in the book of Genesis, that God's blessing comes when we give Him our best. Proverbs 3: Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the firstfruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Matthew chapter 6: For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He's talking about all the worldly things we need, but seek first. THE KINGDOM OF GOD AND HIS RIGHTEOUSNESS, AND ALL THESE THINGS WILL BE ADDED TO YOU. YOU CAN HAVE IT ALL. YOU CAN HAVE GOD AND YOU CAN HAVE ALL OF HIS BLESSINGS IF YOU SEEK HIM FIRST. LUKE 6, THEREFORE BE MERCIFUL JUST AS YOUR FATHER IS ALSO MERCIFUL, JUDGE NOT AND YOU SHALL NOT BE JUDGED, CONDEMN NOT AND YOU SHALL NOT BE CONDEMNED, FORGIVEN YOU WILL BE FORGIVEN, GIVEN IT WILL BE GIVEN TO YOU, GOOD MEASURE, pressed DOWN, SHAKEN TOGETHER AND RUNNING OVER, IT WILL BE PUT INTO YOUR BOSOM, FOR WITH THE SAME MEASURE THAT YOU USE, IT WILL BE MEASURED BACK TO YOU, BEST FOR BEST. ACCORDING TO THE MEASURE THAT YOU USE, GOD USES THE SAME EXACT MEASURE. REVELATION 2, I KNOW YOUR WORKS, YOUR LABOR, THIS IS JESUS. YOUR PATIENCE, AND THAT YOU CANNOT BEAR THOSE WHO ARE EVIL, AND YOU HAVE TESTED THOSE WHO SAY THEY ARE APOSTLES AND ARE NOT, AND HAVE FOUND THEM LIARS, AND YOU HAVE LABORED, AND YOU HAVE PERSEVERED, AND HAVE PATIENCE, AND HAVE LABORED FOR MY NAMESAKE, AND HAVE NOT BECOME WEARY, NEVERTHELESS I HAVE THIS AGAINST YOU, YOU HAVE LEFT YOUR FIRST LOVE. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. From Genesis to Revelation, this word first keeps coming up as it relates to our relationship with God. And God says, I don't want the scraps. I don't want to be replaced. I want want your best. And in the mount of the Lord, when you lay down your best, I'll give you my best. Generationally, I'll give it to you. So here's the second question that I have, because I believe that this is well-established in Scripture, that God gives us his best we give our best. The second is, is that fair? Is it fair that God would demand our best? You say, well, who is God to demand our best? Well, he's our creator. We wouldn't be here without him. According to Psalm 139, we were knit together and fearfully made in our mother's womb. A, a baby in the womb is not a blob. It's a human being that deserves to be protected. HE IS OUR SAVIOR THAT GAVE HIS LIFE FOR US, NO ONE ELSE DID, AND HE'S OUR MASTER AND LORD. THIS IS WHAT 1 CORINTHIANS 6 SAYS, FLEE SEXUAL IMMORALITY, EVERY SIN THAT A MAN DOES IS OUTSIDE THE BODY, BUT HE WHO COMMITS SEXUAL IMMORALITY SINS AGAINST HIS OWN BODY. OR DO YOU NOT KNOW THAT YOUR BODY IS THE TEMPLE OF THE HOLY SPIRIT WHO IS IN YOU, WHOM YOU HAVE FROM GOD AND YOU ARE NOT YOUR OWN? FOR YOU WERE BOUGHT AT A PRICE. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. (laughs) You don't think you're free, do you? Do you really think that you're not owned? You were purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. I hope you're free in the spiritual sense, that you're not in bondage. But every human being will stand before Jesus Christ one day in judgment. And we will give an account for our lives. And the reason that we will give an account is because he owns us, whether we realize it or not. He paid his life for us. Let me just say this God says, Give me your best. God gave his best, he gave the life of his only begotten son. Is it right that he would do that and we wouldn't give our best? He's all in. He's all in. He's given everything that he can possibly give. It's not like he's on the sidelines asking us to do something he wouldn't do. He gave his very best. It wouldn't be right for him to do that and for us not to give our best. Let me say this. Every time we give to the Lord, what we're saying to the Lord is, I know who you are. And I recognize you're my creator, you're my savior, and you're my master. And it is my pleasure to give you this offering. Because without you, I would not be here and I would not be on my way to heaven. That's what giving says to the Lord. And when we withhold, what we're saying is, I don't recognize you. This is what Cain did. I don't recognize you and who you are. Number three question. If God requires our best before he releases his best to us, why isn't that legalism in performance? Isn't God in that legalism to say you have to perform in order to get his blessing? Well, first of all, salvation is free, freely available by grace. The Holy Spirit, freely available by grace. Forgiveness of sins, freely available by grace. You don't have to give a nickel to be saved. The, the thief on the cross next to Jesus. I mean, he never did anything righteous. And he, all he said to Jesus is, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. So to be saved takes a short prayer. And nothing at all other than the grace of Jesus Christ. And if you don't know the Lord, I pray at the end of this service, when we open the altar rails, that you'll come down. Let someone pray with you to receive Christ. Or THE BAPTISM OF THE HOLY SPIRIT FORGIVENESS OF SINS IT'S ALL FREE BUT UNDERSTAND THIS IT'S NOT ABOUT RIGHTEOUSNESS IT'S ABOUT RELATIONSHIP GOD WANTS A RELATIONSHIP WITH US AND IT CAN'T HAPPEN UNLESS WE GIVE THIS IS MATTHEW 22 THIS THEY'RE ASKING JESUS A QUESTION TEACHER WHICH IS THE GREATEST COMMANDMENT OF THE LAW OR THE GREAT COMMANDMENT OF THE LAW JESUS SAID YOU SHALL LOVE THE LORD YOUR GOD WITH ALL YOUR HEART WITH ALL YOUR SOUL And with all your mind, this is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. They said, Lord, what's the greatest commandment of the Bible? He said, give God all your heart, soul, and mind. Why? To be saved? No. To be in relationship. Could you be married without your spouse giving their best to the relationship? Could you be happily married? And the answer is no. To be happily married, you both have to work at the relationship and sacrificially give into the relationship. Any relationship requires that. But this is Luke 14. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 14. Now, a great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now let me stop there. Jesus would never tell us to hate our family. This is a comparative term that means. I will not compete with any human for your affections. Now if you think that you can be a now you can be saved but you can't be close to Jesus and have other people that take you away from him on a regular basis it just means he comes first. And he's very explicit about it here. He said in your own life also if you're selfish and self-centered AND YOU'RE NOT WILLING TO PUT ME FIRST IN YOUR LIFE. IT'S JUST NOT GOING TO WORK OUT THAT YOU'RE GOING TO BE A CLOSE DISCIPLE. YOU GO TO HEAVEN. YOU CAN BE FORGIVEN. THAT'S NOT A QUESTION AT ALL. BUT THE QUESTION IS, COULD WE EVER BE IN A CLOSE RELATIONSHIP WITH JESUS AND HAVE PEOPLE TAKING US AWAY FROM HIM, JUST LIKE ISAAC AND ABRAHAM? NO. HE GOES ON. WHOEVER DOES NOT BEAR HIS CROSS AND COME AFTER ME CANNOT BE MY DISCIPLE. FOR WHICH OF YOU, INTENDING TO BUILD A TOWER, DOES NOT SIT DOWN FIRST TO COUNT THE COST, All that he has cannot be my disciple. How much? Everything you got. So Jesus says, I want you to count the cost now. Now you can be saved in an instant of time, freely. But if you want to be in a relationship with Jesus, it's going to cost you everything you have. It doesn't mean that we have to get rid of our friends and family. It doesn't mean that we have to give away everything we have. It just means it all belongs to Jesus and he comes first. And he's very explicit about it here. THE MORE YOU'RE WILLING TO GIVE YOUR BEST TO JESUS, THE CLOSER YOU'LL BE TO JESUS. IT'S ABOUT RELATIONSHIP. MATTHEW 6, JESUS SAID THIS, DO NOT LAY UP FOR YOURSELVES TREASURES ON EARTH, WHERE MOTH AND RUST DESTROY, AND WHERE THIEVES BREAK IN AND STEAL. BUT LAY UP FOR YOURSELVES TREASURES IN HEAVEN, WHERE NEITHER MOTH NOR RUST DESTROYS, AND WHERE THIEVES DO NOT BREAK IN AND STEAL. FOR WHERE YOUR TREASURE IS, THERE WILL YOUR HEART BE ALSO. THE WORD IS PASSION. WHEREVER YOUR TREASURE IS, YOU'RE PUTTING THE BEST OF YOUR LIFE Your passion's going to be there. And this is about love. Jesus is madly in love with us. And he wants us to love him in return. And here's what Jesus knows. Wherever your treasure is, that's where your passion's going to be. And he wants us to be a passionate bride for him. He wants us to be a passionate people. And what he knows is, when we're giving our best to him, our heart is with him, our passion is with him. And it's going to stay with him. Listen, givers don't backslide. Givers don't backslide. When you're giving your time, whenever you're giving your talents and your treasures to God, you will never have a problem with being drawn back into the world because your heart is with him. When you're not a giver, your heart's not with him. So you're always battling the pull of the world and things like that. One other question. How do you give God your best? It's very simple. You make Jesus the Lord of every area of your life. Every area. When we get saved, it means that we've made Jesus the Lord, but many times we don't understand the implication of that completely. And here's my question. Is Jesus Christ the Lord of your money? Is he the Lord of your education? Is he the Lord of your occupation? Is he the Lord of your marriage? Is he the Lord of your friends and of your priorities? I want to say something to you because when I first got saved, I thought if I really gave my life to Jesus, he'd mess it up. Because I thought I had a pretty good plan going. God will bless you more than you will ever bless yourself. God loves you more than you love yourself. And if there's one person in the universe you can trust your life with, it is Jesus Christ. When you make him Lord, you're going to live your best life. You say, Lord, I give you everything. I give you all my relationships. I give you everything in my life. All of my possessions, just like you said. He doesn't want to take those things away from you. He just wants to bless them and multiply them and give you a meaningful life that's blessed and full of peace and to bless your children and your grandchildren.